Hello and welcome to El Governor the Podcast. As always, I am Abdullah and I am joined today with uh, Boris Heestand. How you doing, Boris? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. So, um, yeah, a lot of people might know Boris from Overwatch and we will get to that. But what many not, might not know is that you're also an animator and you've worked on a lot of interesting projects as as an animator and i'm kind of wondering like how did that get started yeah that's true i mean i was uh i kind of knew that i wanted to be an animator when i was 14 already i was uh just i always was really passionate and i was a big fan of animation like the old warner brothers uh cartoons tex avery stuff and and disney i was very much very much into disney um when i was a teenager in the 90s and at that time they were doing their, they, they were going through their kind of second renaissance and they were doing, you know, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King and all those. And, and each year they seemed to, you know, churn out these bigger movies. Um, and I really liked that. And I thought, this is what I want to do. Um, of course, then it was all hand-drawn. And, um, and I met this just by, through sheer luck, I just met this old uh, Danish animator who just happened to live very close to where I grew up in Holland in the Netherlands. Um, and, uh, and I used to cycle to his house for two hours uh, every few weeks and basically uh, just ask lots of questions. He had a big collection of books and videos and, and, and a, a, a whole career of knowledge. He, he started in the forties. I think he was in his early seventies at the time. He, he passed away a few years ago. He it was 96 in the end. And uh, just a very experienced guy. He'd been working all over the world as a hand-drawn animator. And he basically became a sort of a mentor figure. And I just started, uh, I, I just basically fell completely in love with with animation. And when I was 18, I left Holland because there wasn't that much of an animation uh, industry at, there at that time. Now it's different. Now it's buzzing and there's all sorts of interesting things happening over there. But um, the goal was always to end up in LA to go to Disney, but in the meantime, I had to kind of, I knew that I had to learn and get better. So because it's a craft that you kind of, you know, you learn by doing it and you kind of hone your skills through experience and I didn't have any. So, um, and London is much closer to Holland than LA. So it was almost like a small step towards this ultimate goal. And I went to London and I, uh, I studied in England, um, studied film and animation at uh, what was then called the Surrey Institute of Art and Design. And, um, and, uh, and then I started working and there wasn't that much going on uh, in England either at the time. And I, but Spain was buzzing. So then I moved to Madrid and I worked on a few TV series and a, fe and a few features. And then I moved to Munich and I worked on a feature there. And then I finally came back to London in around 2006. Uh, so at this time I was 26 or was it 2005. I think I was 25. And, um, and then started working in London in the commercial kind of lots of commercials and TV stuff again, and then features. And, um, and then by then see, by then I was no longer really interested in, in working for Disney because they had kind of already, you know, they hadn't, they'd done a few films that weren't that good in my opinion. And they had also switched, they were switching heavily to CG. Everything was changing after Shrek, I think in the late nineties, everything started to shift. And Pixar was making these incredible, beautiful uh, CG movies. And so the whole, the whole world was kind of, you know, shifting towards CG, um, which I didn't mind. I, I love 
I love then and I still love now. I love CG stuff, but I was really focusing on the 2D hand-drawn stuff. And that wasn't really, it was slowly drying up in a way. And I could see that all around me. So I thought, ooh, I have to be careful. Um, I better, you know, learn how to use a computer. And then I sw- switched to to CG. And then I ended up working at visual effects companies on uh, on VFX type projects. Um, on uh, One of the first things I did was Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix and I realized, oh, these these projects are, you know, they're massive. Um, so th- there was a lot to learn there. And I, yeah, experienced a lot of different types of um, projects. And what else can I tell you from, I was in London for a while. Then I moved to Bristol because Ardman, who, I don't know if you've heard of Ardman. I'm, I'm sure you have. They're this um, British animation company who uh, created Wallace and Gromit. They're a stop motion company doing mainly uh, stop motion animation but they were doing a CG film called Arthur Christmas at the time. And uh, because I always wanted to do feature films because the quality is the bar of quality is raised is so much higher because the budgets are much bigger. And uh, so that allows them to attract really good artists and talent from around the world. And, and the, you know, the, the level of the polish and, and the, the quality of the animation is just much, much higher. Um, and, uh, but in, on the side of that, in the meantime, in London, I was working with uh, a good friend of mine who who stopped. Uh, I met him in Munich as an uh, an animator, Paul McEwen, a very good friend of mine, and he wanted to do live action stuff, and he wanted to do comedy, and he wanted to direct, and he didn't want to just animate. And he uh, he wrote a bunch of comedy sketches and short skits and short films, and he thought that I because we were always acting like idiots and always being silly and doing voices and, and, you know, being, you know, having fun. He wanted me to be in his short, funny films. So then I kind of got this taste of acting, which I really, really liked. And in a way, I think, you know, being an animator, an animator is basically an actor anyway. You just don't show your face. You, you know, you perform through, through your characters whether you draw them or, or, or move them around with a computer. But um, I think as an animator, you still need to know a lot about acting. And um, so it's not that much of a, of a difference. It's just that all of a sudden I was in front of the camera and, uh, and, but I really liked that. So I thought, Hey, this is fun. I, I want to do more of this as well, almost as a sideline, because I never wanted to give up animation completely because I just love it too much. And I still feel that way now but I wanted to get more into acting. So I, you know, looked into getting an agent and after a year or so, we'd done a whole bunch of these short films. So I had some material. And then when I was doing commercials in London, I'd also, um, you know, when you cut together an animatic, uh, which the moving storyboard of a, of a project, you, you often work with temporary music and temp voices, what we call scratch. And so I would provide the scratch voices for a, a lot of commercials. And, uh, and so I had this whole collection of material and I put it together. And then one of the clients of these commercials actually said, Hey, we like that. Why don't you just do the voice? So then I was, did some voiceovers in a bunch of commercials. And then I had, before you know it, I had a demo cut together and then I sent that around. And then I uh, ended up getting agents, an agent for screen work and then an agent for voice voiceover work. And since then, this is now, I guess, yeah, about 10 years ago, I think this all started kind of more, more seriously before it was just, 
you know, having a bit of fun here and there and doing funny side projects. But about 10 years ago, I, when I got agents uh, to represent me, then it started to become more professional. And then I slowly got little gigs as, as voiceover artist in mainly commercials at first, but then slowly some other little projects that narrated some audio books and, um, you know, did a few things here and there and then video games and animated series. And then ultimately uh, a couple of years ago, Overwatch. I hope that's uh, a very quick, but but, (laughs) (laughs) like going going through the career. No, no, it's, it's great. Um, And was it weird, like transitioning from doing animation to voiceover or was it just natural for you? Yeah, it's just natural. It's, it's really natural. I think uh, transitioning to real screen acting, uh, that was a big transition because being, you know, in front of, if you're in, when you're in a room, first of all, going to an audition is, is, is just gut wrenching and, and, and horrifying. I, I have so much, I have so much respect for, for actors because um, uh, not so much established actors because they get scripts sent to them and they get jobs wherever they, whenever they want, but people who really try to become actors, that is a tough, tough business, man because you are just constantly trying to sell yourself and which of course for someone who's maybe not very secure about who they are or what they can do is is already a a big daunting task is you know promote yourself and get yourself out there and get yourself noticed and seen and it's all about being seen and um that you know you have to i think have a certain a certain personality for that which i i don't know if i'm cut out for that really um and then when you actually land a gig and you stand in a, in a, on a set, it's, it's, fan, it's daunting because you're just there with a whole bunch of people and there's camera people and light people. And, and, and there's the director, there's the other actors and then there's catering people. There's, there's dozens, if not hundreds of people all around you. And then that moment comes when it's time to do your thing and you better know your lines, you know, and that whole thing uh, that is actually making me nervous just, talking about it that's kind of you, you just you better not screw this up kind of thing you know and uh, there's a lot of pressure there i think to do it well and to do it right um and of course there's also the pressure to do it well and do it right when you're doing voices but it's a much more relaxed atmosphere you show up and uh, you, know, you get coffee <laughs> you're in a booth it's just you and the audio engineer so it feels much more intimate um, and there's the director either in the studio or on the other end of the line, and you just talk about it, and then and you go through the material, and you kind of find the character or, or you or whatever it is you need to do, and it is a much more kind of relaxing and 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 straightforward process. Um, but ultimately, it, it, it's acting in both cases, and um, and acting is not really that much of an extension from what acting is in animation. It's just really nice to be able to hide behind your computer screen or your drawing desk when you're animating. And, uh, you know, you can pick your nose while you're doing it and no one will ever see that. Um, But when you're on screen, then it's a different, you know, you have to really, you're very conscious all of a sudden about what you look like and how you act and how you hold yourself. And also you have to do it immediately. Whereas in animation, you can, you know, you can scribble and then think, look at it and go, "Hmm, no, that's not right do it a bit more like this or a bit more like that. So you have time to really craft and hone it and you have a lot of control over it. Um, Whereas in the booth, when you're recording a voice or on screen, when you're in a show, you just kind of just do what you think is right and 
hope for the best and just wait for the, the result afterwards. And out of all the projects you've worked on, which would you say was the most fun to work on? Uh, for, what, for voice acting or, or animation or any? Uh, animation. Animation? Yeah. Um, I think it was... Uh, I think it was maybe at Sony Pictures. I was in Vancouver for a, a while working at Sony and I, I worked on a film called Hotel Transylvania there. And that was that was great fun because primarily, I think, because I come from 2D hand-drawn animation um, and you see it a lot more now, but then, this is in 2012, so that's, that's 10 years ago, bloody hell. Um, it feels like yesterday. Um, 10 years ago you didn't really see cg was always a bit more you know it, it it looks a bit more clinical and it looks the rigs are there's not that quite a kind of squashy stretchy bouncy uh quality cg always tries to mimic real life much more and i think now uh well there was meet the mitchells last year and and of course the spider-verse film both done at sony as well funnily enough you see it a lot more now where CG animation is, is stretched much more to, to the limit and, and is really looking more stylistic and more interesting from an art directed point of view. And um, it looks more cartoony and you can get those old fashioned cartoony 2d influences into CG much more now, but back then you didn't really see it that much yet. And I feel like hotel T was really one of those projects where, that was done really over the top for the first time in CG or not the first time, but it was done really well. I think for the first time in CG where you really saw is really zany over the top animation where eyeballs would pop out of characters heads. And, you know, the poses were really over the top and extreme. And um, I'm very much into that kind of over the top comedy and physical stuff and slapstick kind of pie in the face kind of stuff. And, so that was just really a joy to to work on something like that. Because in CG, I always felt a bit more restrained and held back. And on Hotel Transylvania, it was like, you know, just go all out. In fact, most of the notes from the director were not enough. You need to go bigger and broader. And he would always say, break the rig. Because in CG, you've got these little puppets that we call rigs. And then, you know, you move them around. And, um, and if you move them too much, then they literally break. And uh, so that was always the uh, the aim, break the rig. Then if you break the rig, then you know you're probably doing something right. So that was good fun. And how many rigs have you broken while you were working on that? <laughs> oh, it's not it's not like that. It's CG, you know, so it's, it, you don't really break it. But, you know, <clears throat> all these things are connected with joints and bones. So if I move my head and then the, the, the neck, you know, moves in a in a really impossible ugly kink as if the neck is completely broken then uh, i can undo that the rig itself is fine it's just that you know you you move the rig in such a way that the pose or the or the or the character doesn't really look natural anymore you know that's kind of what they meant with breaking the rig um so yeah i've broken many rigs but not to the uh you know that that was a simple matter of just uh you know fixing it and it's done it's it's fixed again no, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that because I feel like with a lot of animation now, it, it, puppet rigging is more noticeable, especially with, um, you know, with, with a lot of animated shows now, you notice it more, more and more. And I understand why they do it because it's, you know, 
cheaper and faster, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I kind of miss that, you know, you were talking about, you know, classic Disney. I grew up with Aladdin, and I think that Aladdin is one of the most beautifully animated movies of all time, and it just stands the test of time because it was just so well well animated and so well drawn that I just kind of yeah. wish we could go back to that. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that I felt the same way for a really long time, and uh, and a lot of people still do. Where that was, they had that golden time at Disney where they were just doing all these films, and and they they looked so beautiful, and and um, and that kind of th- big Hollywood theatrical uh, feature quality animation we don't really see anymore in two D, but uh, but but there's still that there's loads of hand drawn stuff. Uh, in the world and it's not you know most a lot of it is obviously Japanese but there's there's a lot of stuff coming out of the US as well and France and Spain are quite prolific Um, and I think that it's making a slow resurgence you know Um, and in fact I think that worldwide there is more 2D stuff being done now than there was back in those days because back in those days all there was was Disney you know and now you've got all these little indie studios all over the world and they do these wonderful things, you know. There's a studio in, in Ireland uh, called the Cartoon Saloon and they created these films uh, like Wolf Walkers. I don't know if you've heard of that a, a few years back and uh, Song of the Sea before that. And, um, and of course, there's Klaus, which was done by Sergio Pablos, a Spanish guy um, who actually was a Disney animator. And uh, they're still in from under the woodworks, you know, there's still all these 2D artists and they, there's armies of them and there's some really good people out there and, uh, and they create some stellar, stellar work, really, really beautiful work. Um, Ken Duncan is another Canadian uh, animator who was at Disney for a long time and he has a studio still, uh, still doing a lot of really, really beautiful, beautiful 2D work. Um, So I don't know. And Eric Goldberg, seeing as you said, Aladdin uh, was uh, was quoted. I think just the other day, may have even been yesterday or this morning. I can't remember because time is weird in my head. Um, but he said that, that there's a real good chance that Disney will will do some some two D projects again in the very very near future. Maybe they're already in development. So um, it may come back, you know, because these things kind of go up and down. There's trends and people want something for a while and well, then they want something new again. And sometimes the new thing is something that is old and that they that kind of want to see again, um, especially because, you know, everyone is all about the nostalgia these days, right? Now, you mentioned um, over overseas studios and I just remembered uh, Primal is animated by a French um, animation studio and that that show has like beautiful animation that I'm just shocked. It's like... Why is this on television? This is like feature film quality animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's getting better all the time. I mean, um, not to sound like a really old man, but um, when I started to get into it, there really wasn't that much, there weren't that much resources out there that that you could really latch onto to learn this stuff. There was a Preston Blair book and there was a there was The Illusion of Life, which is this book written by two uh, of the of Disney's nine old men, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson. Those were the two books, the go-to books. And other than that, there wasn't really, I mean, a lot of these films weren't even on home video then, you know, you couldn't really go and study them frame by frame. Now you go on YouTube or Google and you just, you, you do a quick search 
and you can just study these things frame by frame. Everything is up on, on the internet available for free. There are tutorials, lots of animators put their, you know, opinions out on there. This is how you do this. And this is how you do that. And the software, you know, most software is available for free. Uh, if not on a student or trial version, then, you know, you can, people can easily get cracked copies of, of their favorite software and I think it's so easy now to learn how to do this in, in a decent way that now, you know, when an animator, when people, young people start working in the industry, a lot of them are already insanely good and they have the amount of experience under their belt without having ever worked on a professional project in their lives before. Um, they have, you know, the same amount of experience that would have taken me and other people who started before all this information was so readily available would have taken us years and years of, of, of practice to learn, you know? And um, so there's a lot of, it's always funny again at Sony, I was always joking that the, um, the senior animators, cause there's little, you know, you get juniors and mids and senior animators and then lead animators. And usually, you know, the higher in the hierarchy, the more experience and therefore on the, on the whole, the older the people are. Um, and you would get juniors and they would just, they would just waltz all over the, the seniors and the leads. They would just go like, oh yeah, let me just do this. And blah, 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 blah. and within an hour, they had done something incredible that, it, that would have taken one of the seniors a, a week to put together. And um, so basically that's a very long winded way of saying that there's some real incredible talent out there. And so I think you can really see that the, the, the bar is constantly being raised also as technology is improving. Oh yeah, shows that used to look good um, two or three years ago look like garbage now because of technology yeah. moving fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm directing a TV series at the moment, and um, that I can't really say too much about. But one of the great things that has happened with that uh, is that in the middle of the production, about seven months ago, we completely changed the pipeline. And usually that's not a good thing. <laughs> and I, at the time I was making a lot of noise and I said, oh, we can't do this. This is going to put us back by so much, but we switched to unreal, uh, unreal engine to render all of our stuff with. Um, and I said, yeah, okay, great. But ultimately this is still going to be a massive setback. But now that we are back on track and I'm, and we're, you know, seeing the, the final result, um, things are rendered with unreal which for those of you i'm sure everyone knows this but it's for those who don't it's a games engine and basically what it means is that you can you can see things in real time like in a game because you know you play overwatch or, or any other high-end game and it looks great but of course your movements de decide you know it's all happening and rendered in real time whereas conventionally on a film pipeline or, or tv pipeline or any kind of commercial film um, pipeline you have your animation that goes to the lighting department they tweak stuff and do their magic and then they have to render an image out and it usually takes minutes if not hours per frame sometimes you know in the old days like I, actually in the old days i think it's still maybe like that at pixar because their stuff is so insanely detailed and complex and 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 um, it, it would take a night or a day, you know, sometimes to render a frame when there's lots of ray tracing and lots of, you know, technical mumbo jumbo happening 
that it's uh, it, it takes an enormous uh, amount of um, computational power. It takes ages to render one single frame. So it could take weeks to, to render a shot. And now you see the shot pr- pretty much right in front of your eyes. You just have to click play. Um, and what that means is that it gives you an enormous amount of extra time to iterate. So back in the day, you would have to render something for a week and then you'd look back at it and you go, ah, yeah, mm, this and that and this and that. Not too good, but we don't have the we don't have the time to do it again. So let's just you know fix the the worst offenders, and then that was it. Whereas now you can you can go oh what if we put a light here and oh what if we do that there, um, and it's not just that you can make those choices, but that you can make those you can do it in real time, and you go oh actually no that light actually that's not such a good idea after all let's take it away again let's put it over here oh that looks good I like that. Ooh, nice. Bit more blurry background, bit more defocus, a bit more rim light here on this guy's chin. Yes, great. And something that would have taken weeks, if not months, to 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 tweak now can be done in 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 half an hour. Um, and that's you know, because I'm doing a TV show, and of course TV is always limited by its time and budget. But yeah, we are making a show that hopefully looks like a feature. And that's fantastic. That's really exciting. Well, yeah, um, you're starting to see a shift in that networks finally realized, hey, maybe animation isn't something that we should just focus on for kids. It can be for everybody and adults like this stuff. And you're starting to see that change, especially with the success of like Arcane. That was a huge hit. And now you're starting to see all these all these studios putting out all these uh, green lighting, all these uh, adult oriented projects because they're like, yeah, adults are interested in animation. It is no longer, it is no longer a thing for kids. It is, you know, we're expanding on it. And I think that's great. Yeah. 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 It's good that that's slowly happening. I mean, it's, it's, it's happening slowly, but it is happening and that's great. Um, Yeah. A couple of years, there was love, death and robots, his TV show on Netflix. Um, you know, it's funny because a lot of the time when it, I mean, of course, Japan has always been prolific and, and has known this. And I think, you know, people ultimately, they just want to be told a really nice story. And, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's, uh, as long as it's told well, then they'll, they'll tune in. But, but when it's animated, then people go, Ooh, Ooh, I'm a bit scared of that because it's animated. So that, that means it must be for kids. So, yeah, that, that is slowly changing the consensus with more projects coming out that are successful. Um, but funnily enough, sometimes it goes the other way first. I think that happened with Love, Death and Robots, where I actually didn't think it was so adult. I thought it was very juvenile, if anything, because <laughs> all they did was just, it was just sex, ultraviolence, a lot of swearing, um, which, of course, you can't do in kids' programming. So they were obviously, they thought, well, now we're going to do something that's really for adults. But I don't think that as adults, we just want to look at a screen where there's just boobs and ultra violence and drinking and swearing. It's just, that's not really that interesting. You know, <laughs> you want to be told really good stories. And I think, yeah, Arcane, as you say, that was a, that was a big one, I think. Um, I, I hope that a lot of um, people who usually don't look at animation, uh, they, that they thought, hey, what is this? This could be interesting. I mean, on the top of it, it was still kind of, you know, it's very gamey, right? Because, of course, it's based on a game world. So it's still a lot of shooting and, and um, 
quirky characters and it's a steampunk world. So it does maybe look still look, look a bit scary and to the, um, to the adult untrained eye from that usually doesn't tune into animation type stuff, but it's definitely shifting. And that's really, 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 really cool to see. Absolutely. Really nice to, I'm sure that in the future there'll be, you know, best picture contenders that are, that are fully animated. Um, uh, for filmmakers as well, it's just so in- interesting to work with animation because anything is possible and you have full control over it. You know, you're not um, limited by, by by what the actor can do or where you shoot on location. You can keep changing things and tweaking things and you really have full control over uh, over the medium, which is wonderful. And um, in your opinion, what is like your favorite, an- what is your favorite animated movie of all time? I don't know. I have no idea. That changes all the time. Um, I don't know. It used to be kind of Pinocchio slash Fantasia, which is uh, uh, films that they did back to back at Disney. In the, I think Pinocchio is from 39 or 1940. I forget. Fantasia 1940 or 1941. Um, they reached a pinnacle in, in what they could do very early on, I think. And after that, they did get better with slickness and making things slick and smooth and 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 a style of drawing but um but i think in their storytelling and in their execution of the characters and the storytelling i don't think they ever did better than with uh, with pinocchio so um and i don't know why that seems to be a popular choice among animators um i don't know but I, when I say that, I think like, yeah, but it's so old and so, so long ago. Surely there must be something more recent and that's more interesting. Um, last year, Flea, I thought. Flea was incredible. You should watch Flea. I should probably watch that at some point. <laughs> yeah, uh... You should watch Flea. It's a great, it's great. It's beautiful. It, you know, not so much for the quality of the animation, but it's just, but as a film, it's just, it's fantastic. Really, really, really amazing. Um yeah, wonderful about a, a refugee from Afghanistan who makes his way to Denmark, um, and it's a it's a documentary. So he tells his story, um, and uh, of course they can't go back in time to film his ordeals, so they decided to do that in animation. And um, so it's almost like a, a story told through flashbacks, um, and the flashbacks are all animated, and uh, it's it's wonderful. It's really nice, very powerful. Yeah, um, that's another way you can use animation to to tell a story. In that, you know, instead of just a- hiring like really cheap actors and you know trying to recreate what happened, why not tell it in animation? It would look better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. If you, as you say, I mean, I'm I'm sure there's also really good actors that could do that. But it, it there is something kind of cheap about it, isn't there? When you kind of do a recreation. Uh, of something very serious with actors and uh yeah that it's funny there are certain things that are very cheesy and over the top and hammy and and too in your face in animation uh, sorry in in live action that for some reason when they're done in animation they're actually they come across as much more tasteful and and much more um palatable and and uh, and interesting um I guess because animation is is a is an abstraction of reality. It isn't reality. It's a it's a, a slight caricature of it. Uh, and so we so we're used to kind of accepting 
and expecting that when we watch animation, things are going to be a little heightened and a little bit more over the top and a little bit more simplified and uh, distilled, I think is the word, than live action. And so you can get purer ideas uh, across and simpler ideas across in, in a way that can still be very profound and meaningful. I yeah, think that's, that's what animation does really well. Yeah, that's why I, I roll my eyes whenever I see someone complaining about like character designs and stuff like that being like too cartoony. I'm like, yeah, it's meant to look that way because it's animation and they kind of need to have simplistic character designs to animate within a TV budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it depends. Um, yeah. I mean, um, uh, Alberto Mielgo, who won the Oscar this year for his short, um, who I worked with when I was in Madrid, a lovely guy. He also ended up kind of designing or, or art directing um well, first Tron, the Tron Legacy a TV series for Disney, and, and he did a, the Spider-Verse film, the art direction. Uh, that whole style is very much his, and he did a film um, uh, called The Windshield Wiper, I believe it's called. Um, and it's his stuff is ultra, ultra realistic. And I love him. I think he's a great guy, and he's an amazing artist, so I'm not going to be negative about anything that he's done because he is absolutely profound in what he does. But I sometimes kind of wonder, well, why, why, why use animation for this? Because his stuff is so realistic that it looks, it looks real. Basically. It looks like it's like, it's real. Like someone shot all this stuff and then kind of applied a, a filter or, or, or traced it or rotoscoped it or did some trickery to make it look a bit more, visually striking and interesting there's obviously very much a, an animated kind of color palette and, and style and art direction to this work but it looks very very photoreal um and sometimes and it i guess it's his idea is that it, it's kind of meant to to screw with your mind a little bit that way that it makes you look and go like what is that what is that what is that real is that is that animated or is that real what what is that but i don't know for, for me personally that's his thing for me personally it's kind of I think animate, you should utilize the, the medium of animation. And if you're not doing that, then you might as well be, you know, making live action um, films. Um, there's so much you can do with the medium. And if you're not utilizing that, then I think you're missing a trick. But maybe he knows something that I don't because he obviously won the Oscar. <laughs> and his work is amazing. It's really, really beautiful. I mean, his Oscar probably speaks for itself then. <laughs> you know? There you go. Um, anyway, uh, moving on to Overwatch, like, I, I want to know, like, how did that come about? And did they, like, did you get character specs for Sigma or any, anything, any, any pictures or anything like that? Uh, or, or did no, you I, just I didn't go in any... bl blind into the whole thing? Yeah, I went completely blind. Uh, I think Blizzard are, are renowned for being very secretive and a lot of those companies are, you know, um, generally i think very very secretive with their ip very secretive with um with their material you know you can sign all the ndas in the world and you're still not told uh what it is or what the script was i didn't know it was for overwatch um and i have to admit i mean i'm a gamer i love games but there's a certain type of games like the online um shoot 'em up type games. It was just something that I never really got into. I've played some Overwatch and now I actually understand it much more and I actually really enjoy it. But then this is, I think, three years now already. What is it, 22? I did it in 19. Yeah, three years. Um, 
I think it was in May. So it was, yeah, it was exactly three years ago. I think I did the audition. Um, I had heard of Overwatch and I, uh, I'd seen this, some of the cinematics because I thought those were wonderful and amazing and they looked fantastic. And it's that kind of animation that I was used to working in. And it's just really nice, high quality stuff. But I didn't know the game itself. So even when they told me, oh, it's for Overwatch, I even didn't, it didn't really click. Uh, but that was when I was told I had the part. That's when they told me that it was Overwatch. I had no idea what it was for when I did the audition. Um, they just sent me this breakdown for a scientist who is Dutch. Um, and at the time, they um, they said, well, he could be German, but we prefer him to be Dutch. I think that was what they said. And so I think I sent in a, a German take with a, a German accent, and I sent in a Dutch take with a with a Dutch accent, um, which, of course, I have to put on a little bit more like, uh, you know, like this, because my 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 accent is not really that Dutch anymore, because I haven't lived there for a very long time. But and it's always quite hard because if you do it too much, then it becomes a kind of a cartoony caricature, um, which is maybe why Sigma doesn't have a very strong Dutch accent, but a, a little subtle one, which hopefully I, hopefully people can still very much make out. Um, but yeah, I didn't know. They, they said it's a scientist character. And they did give me a breakdown of he was, you know, he's an astrophysicist and... He's incredibly passionate about what he does. He lives for his job. He's married to his job. This is what his life is, is, is all about. He's dedicated his entire life to, to his research. And, uh, and they, they were talking about Hans Zimmer, you know, the, the film composer. Um, they sent me a YouTube clip with an interview with, with uh, Hans saying, he, the way that Zimmer talks about his work is with such uh, devotion and passion. And we want to get that across when you do the, 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 the character, someone who's just really passionate about what they do. And they have that kind of drive and that, that warmth about what they do in their voice. Um, and that's it. And, and there was nothing about the story or nothing about what this character would be doing. It was basically uh Sieburn uh, de Kuiper, which is Sigma's name when he, well, well his, his real name before he becomes Sigma. And it's, it, so it's really more about that character. And then I, did, I, I honestly can't remember what I did. I really, I don't remember the, I remember the being there, but I don't remember what I did. I do think it was slightly different than what we actually ended up with in the end, which was a bit of a surprise. Um, because when I, came in that's months later you know and you don't really remember what you did so they usually they play you back a clip and then you go oh yeah okay i remember and then you can kind of zone into that again and recreate that when you do the actual part um so i said can, do you mind if i uh, if you can you play me back the audition um and they said no 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 that's fine we'll we'll just kind of let's start from scratch and it was really not until then that they that I got told the story it was at the recording <laughs> at the first recording when they told me who this character was and then they had an image on the screen and that's when I first saw him and I thought oh wow I like this character uh he's not he doesn't look much like a scientist to me <laughs> he looks more like someone who uh who, who will easily and happily kill you 
And that's when I found out that there was a bit of both, a bit of yin and yang and a bit of, uh, yeah, craziness. And I think that that's when they, because initially they also didn't uh, give me the age. Oh, no, actually, I think they did give me not a specific age, but they say he's slightly older. So I, I can only assume that I did a slightly more like a, a slightly more gruff type thing in the audition. And, and, and they said, oh, you need to, yeah, you can do more of that. So then, it be, you know, it became this kind of thing where it's much more, a bit more gruff and dark and deep and warm. You know, it became a bit more like that. Um, but yeah, a, a long, long story short, I was completely in the dark. I had no idea what it was until uh, until I had the job. So that was cool. And was it, it was weird? Nice. Was it weird seeing the final product? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I played a few games, uh, and every now and again, I go in there, um, and it's uh, it's it's interesting and funny to hear your voice. Um, but for some reason, because it's in a game and, and it's kind of all happening around you, it becomes a bit more abstract. So it doesn't, I don't really register it as my voice. I just, I see the character as the character, which is far enough away from me personally that I, I don't really, you know, it's not that like, oh, it's my voice. It's so weird to hear my own voice coming from this case. It's not like that. It's kind of, it's, it's just this other thing, but um but this, the, the cinematic they did, the, the origin story, that hit me really hard because that worked so well. You know, usually when you work on something, you kind of, um, you know the thing so well and you've seen so many iterations of it that the final product never has the same effect on you as it's meant to have on, on the audience, right? As, as it's meant to have on other people because you know exactly what's coming and you know everything about it. So it doesn't really have any effect on you anymore. Uh, but this thing did, it gave me goosebumps because they did, I think they did such a great job, especially the sound design and the mix of it all, the music and the, the sound effects and then the voice combined. Um, because it's, a, I mean, visually, it's a very simple, it, it's almost like an animatic. I have to admit, I thought that what they showed me was an animatic. It was a temp thing, you know, because it was just, still images with, you know, little layers that were moving. And I think Sigmund's on a, is on a bed and he's got little twitches in his finger or something like that. And it's all done well and it looks, it's fun, but it, 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 I, I thought it was an animatic. I thought it was going to be fully animated when it was done. So when I saw it done, I thought like, what? Oh, 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 this, this is it. Oh, that's the final image. Uh, I was a little surprised, but it was, I was it still worked so well because the sound design is so good. Um, and of course the images are lovely. Um, yeah, that worked really well. And I think the reason for that is, is that there were three or even four or five multiple different um, uh, takes for each line. And of course there were, there's always lots of takes for each line, but there were different modes. Um, we, we gave names to each of them. I, I can't even remember what, we called them. I, I just remember God mode. God mode is uh, I'm going to kill you all. And basically when he screams and shouts and when he does his alt, you know, that's God mode. And then he has his in-between mode where, and then he also has his scientist mode. And then he has a really kind of, what, what, what is that melody? Kind of that mode where he just is really, really fragile and, um, and, and, and is having a bit of a breakdown. 
and uh, and we we did lots of takes where we did all three of those kind of mixed up um but we basically did every single line i think in all three of those modes and variations of it so that they could then put it together any which way they liked and could very easily go from one mode to another so it went you know constantly back and forth uh from being just a friendly neighbor to a to to a guy from hell who's going to kill everyone on earth um and so that's why i didn't you know i didn't know which of these takes they were going to pick so when i saw it i i thought it was put together so well that it really it kind of blew me away i thought wow this is this is quite powerful i was really proud of that actually when i first saw that i thought oh yeah that's my voice baby <laughs> and did you ever get a chance to play sigma oh yeah of course yeah yeah absolutely yeah he's he's good fun um i still i mean you know i'm a very very casual player because i'm just so crazy busy um and what that means is that i suck i'm really terrible at it and so everything's just like so fast and i can barely see what the hell's going on i just throw shields and then throw balls at people throw shields balls shields and then i'm up in the air I just pressed buttons. I didn't even know what the hell's going on. And I'm doing an alt that was unintentional, even though, uh, oh crap, that took me a while to save up. I should have used that <laughs> intentionally rather than by accident. So that's the kind of player I am. Um, so yeah, there's lots to learn, but it's, um, yeah, it's good fun. I think it's good fun. I mean, Sigma was the last character I ended up playing as before I, you know, I stopped, you know, I lost interest and, but he was like, he was a lot of fun because um, he was like big, meaty, and he just felt like an actual tank as opposed to the other tank characters. And right. I, I don't know. I just love the whole shield throwing thing that he did. You know, the the shields yeah. and the – I love the fact that, that the little um, – I don't know what they're called. The little um, projectiles he has are like basically little black – Kinetic holes. Yeah, little black holes. <laughs> I really like those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and his little rock, his rock summoning thing was great. Um, it's good to know that there's always rocks around when you need them in, in these cityscapes. Um, yeah, I like it. I really like it. And I tried a bunch of characters. And I really have to say, I mean, I didn't try them all, admittedly, so because there's so many. Um, I really have to get back in and, and try some other characters. But um, I may, I think I've maybe tried six or seven of them. Um but I, I, I have to say I prefer Sigma. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think it's because I, I did the voice. It's just, uh, I thought it was, yeah, like you say, it's kind of fun. He's got fun, uh, fun controls and abilities. Plus, like, you know, when you play him, you actually feel like you're playing a tank. Like you can take a little bit more damage and you can last a lot longer than, right. than your teammates, which, I, which right. I had a problem with when it came to other characters as opposed to, like, I feel like he was what Orisa should have been on day one when she was released, but that's just my opinion. Right. Yeah, I don't know anything about that, but I, I just think it's amazing that that there's this game where everyone can kind of find that, what they like and then they kind of stick to that and then they get really good at that and then they become that kind of character and uh, their main, right, they call it. And I, I think that's really cool where you can get teams together to, uh, you know, I'm good at this character, you're good at that character, let's come together so we actually can kick some ass together and have some fun. I think that's that's just a wonderful concept. So, um, 
yeah, the whole the whole community centered and people coming together to play together is uh, I've always found just really, 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 really amazing. Yeah, uh, a lot of people don't understand is that you know if you're gonna play Overwatch, play it with people who a you trust and b know that you that you can work together as a team because it is a team based game. And it is not one of those games that you can just go in there and be like, oh, I'll just pick this character and I'll just be, you know, no, you have to play as a team. Otherwise, you're not going to win. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Which is probably why I suck at it so much. Because <laughs> I'm used to solo games. But it, I think it's amazing. I think it's absolutely amazing. It brings people together. And, and it's, I mean, I know that, you know, it's died down a little bit and, uh, now there seems to be a bit of buzz in the air again because of the Overwatch 2 uh, beta um, being play tested at the moment. But um, and hopefully, you know, the actual game <clears throat> not being far behind. Um, but it it it's just it's amazing that it's uh, it's held out as much as it has, and that people are so passionate about it. You know that they um, that there's so many people who just who still play this all the time and 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 come together with others to. Um, to, to play together. I think it's, it's incredible. It's a really, really special thing. I think I, I spent like maybe 200 plus hours in total with the game. So it's like, yeah, you know, wow. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a fun game that's, to play. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. As I said, I'm more of a solo, you know, I usually play these kind of, I don't know, um, whether whether it's an open world thing or just a kind of a solo quest thing, you know, like a Zelda type thing or a Metroid type thing. I think even then I don't I usually kind of 15, maybe 20 hours, I think into something like, I don't know, a Red Dead Redemption or an Assassin's Creed or something like that. And uh, which, which is a lot, you know, to me anyway, because I, you know, life is so busy and there's so many important things you, you want to do. And then gaming is always this thing like, well, it's kind of there and hour here, hour there. And it racks up by the time you finish a game, you know, having spent 20 or 30 hours on something is to me a lot. But then, yeah, exactly. As you say, you hear stories and I've heard stories that 200 isn't even, there are people <laughs> who've spent a lot more than 200, right? Um, but that's, yeah, that's impressive, man. Um Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great that, and, and amazing that this thing becomes so, it actually becomes real for a certain amount of time, becomes real, a real part of people's lives, isn't it? Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, um, I mean, now, like you said, it's, it's not as popular as it once was, but people tend to forget that, you know, back in 2016, 2017, 2018, like that was the golden golden age of overwatch like it was just everywhere it was like the go-to game you know before mm. Fortnite came along and pretty much took over everything <laughs> yeah 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 i missed out on that unfortunately but it's uh, it's still really nice to be part of it and to uh yeah just to know how much it means to people i think it's fantastic and i mean do you find that you know with with um with uh video games nowadays do you find that it's harder to keep up with everything or is it just, you know, is it, is it um, not much of an issue for you? I don't know if it's harder to keep up with things, but it's, uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, there is, there is more, there, there are more big, great games every year, it seems. So you can never, can never play them all. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. I, I play I play a good handful every every year and I always feel like, ah, oh, but I want to also do this and also that. And th- there's a list that gets longer every year of all the games that I want to play. Um, so in that sense, it's definitely getting harder to, to keep up with it. You just can't do them all because there just isn't enough time in the world. You know, um, I've got a very busy job. I've got a, you know, I've got a family and, you know, gaming is just... When I'm done at the end of the day with my work and my little daughter is in bed, I, I at the moment she's only two and a half, you know, so she still needs a lot of uh, a lot of love and care. Well, I'm sure she'll always need that, but um, you know, a lot of time. Um, and we're so tired at the end of the day. We usually have an hour, maybe an hour and a half at the end of the evening, where we can just kind of unwind. Um, and I'm not going to play a game where I get stressed out over dying or <laughs> making the leap or jumping or getting further or defeating the boss. Um, I'm just going to kind of sit down and chat to my, my, uh, my lady and watch a stupid film or a TV series and just kind of, or read a book, you know, before I go to bed. But uh, yeah, gaming is something I, um, I really wish I had more time for it because I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, no, same. I, uh, you know, sometimes I just have this big backlog of stuff I, re- I really want to get to, but it's like, I don't have the time. <laughs> no. And it's okay to, what, what I, you know what I really like? I've got a, a brother in, um, back in Holland and uh, uh, we come together. He's busy as well. You know, we, we, we said we would do this every week on a Thursday night. Um, I doubt it'll happen tomorrow. Um, and we haven't done it for almost a month. So that shows that we're both, it's just very sporadic, but we come together and then we play this, uh, we play, it takes two, which is this, um, you know, co-op thing. Um, and I think before that it takes two, we played fall guys. And before that we played a way out, which is from the makers of, I think it takes two, but it's basically, it's about, about a prison break. And you have to help each other out. And it, it takes two is about two little puppets and you have to help each other out. And it's just so much fun to play with him where we can still chat and catch up and talk at the same time while we're playing the game. Um, and I realized that's how a lot of people also play Overwatch, right? Where they're just kind of getting together with some friends and they're just making small talk as they, as they f- fight the fight, right? As they, uh, as they, um, as they play the game. So yeah, that's that's been really good, but other than that, it's been and yeah, Metroid was the last one I played, I think properly. So and that was over Christmas already, and now we're in the end of April. So that's yeah, it's been a few months since I've really touched anything properly. I just feel like we're in an age of media oversaturation, where it's like yes, yes, there's just so much stuff, and I'm at that point where I'm like, you know what, I'm just gonna stick to my three shows, and I'm I'm fine with that. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, that in a, in a way, that's good, because I think that will bring you peace, my friend, because <laughs> it can be quite stressful just to figure out what to do. Like, oh, I, I, got, I have to watch this film because it's, I, I've read it's good. And I, I have to watch this show because I've read it's good. And, and, and my friend, I just watched this other thing and they say it's good. And, and, ah, ah, whatever, ah, ah, and I want to play this game. Um, they're, they're, you're right. There's too much stuff. In the old days, everyone would just watch the same stuff, right? Because there was only a few channels and everyone would watch the same. And then that would give people something to talk about the next day because everyone watched the same thing. Not sure if we want to go back to those days, though. It's kind of cool that that there is so much good stuff out there that people can choose what they want to watch very much based on 
on their preferences. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. It's a bit, it can be overkill. So yeah, no screens after, after eight or something like that. Read a book, <laughs> meditate, do some yoga, call your mother, <laughs> fix the uh, sink. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing. It's like when, when you get all these responsibilities, you're like, I could do this, but I, I really want to yeah. play this game. <laughs> Yeah, I could do my taxes, but uh, I really want to play this game. Yeah. And it's, I mean, with when I was playing like Overwatch from, I think it was, I was big into it when like 2016, uh, 2016 to 2019 was like when I was really big into Overwatch. And every time, man, I, I tell myself, look, it's been like two or three hours, one more match, one more match. And then it's like, it's been yeah. five hours already. It's like, no, no, one, one more match, one more match. <laughs> one more match. And then you, you look at the clock and it's, 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 it's 10 to three. And you think, oh, I, I, I'm going to play until 3 a.m. And then I'm really going to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, no, those days are over for me, man. <laughs> but I know exactly what you mean. But I mean, how do you balance, you know, uh, work life and um, and pleasure? Well, I, I don't. Um, <laughs> that's the problem. Um, I don't get that much at the time, at the moment. But I'm sure it'll change. You know, um, we bought a house, and that needs a lot of fixing. And I've got a little girl, and she needs a lot of love and attention, which I'm very happy to give. And uh, you know, wake up and with her and make her breakfast and get her downstairs and put her in a bath and, you know, read her stories at night. That's the stuff that you just want to do, but it really does take a lot of time away. And then, you know, I cook dinner and then afterwards I have to do the dishes and then clear up a little bit. Um, there, there's, there's very, very, and in the weekend, there's all the chores, you know, there's the laundry and the cleaning and the hoovering and the garden and all this stuff that you can't get to during the week because of all the other stuff. So there, there's really not that much time for uh as i said it's usually about an hour maybe an hour and a half at the end of the evening and that's it um and then yeah it's it, the, it by then you're so fried that it, you it's usually just some crappy reality tv show <laughs> I, I can i confide in you <laughs> well i mean i won't tell anyone if you won't boris <laughs> okay okay let's not tell anyone this uh there's this this show called Selling Sunset. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Okay, don't look it up. Um, my girlfriend got me into this because it's the kind of thing that I would not ever be interested in in a million years. It's basically about you know little about girls in their twenties, mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties uh, in uh, in LA who uh, who sell insane real estate, you know, real estate that's like 10, 20, 30 million dollars for a house. And they're always these horrible soulless houses with the most disgusting decor. They look more like museums and they don't look like home cozy, you know, nice places that you would want to live in. But they're very impressive. But of course, the main thing the show is about is about all the gossiping and bitching and moaning that these girls do behind each other's backs on the on this show. <laughs> And it's just a horrendous thing and it's a train wreck, but uh, there's something about it that is very um, Moorish. (laughs) 
I watched one episode and I said, what, what is, or with my girlfriend said, what is this crap you're watching? Turn this off. We shouldn't be watching this garbage. And then after 10 minutes, I was just sitting there going, oh, and I wanted to watch the next one. Um, and the new season of it dropped a couple of days ago. So after this call, well, first I'm going to call my mother. That's actually not a joke because I, <laughs> in a minute I have to, I've got a date with my mom. And then I'm probably going to watch <laughs> a little bit of Selling Sunset before bed. So that's my leisure time these days. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you know, you're not the first person I talked to who's like, yeah, we fell down the reality show rabbit hole and we can't get out. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get out. It's just a complete waste. But then again, you know, what is a complete waste? Um, I used to feel, oh, I, I never felt that way about games, but I used to, I used to uh, have people around me who, who felt that way about games and who said, you know, what are you, why are you wasting your time with that stuff? Or you should be reading a book. You should educate yourself or you should do something, you know, with your time that you can, um, that's like, a, I don't know, a, a decent use of your time. But I think, you know, whether you watch a movie or read a book or play a game, you're throwing away that time anyway, right? Or sleeping or, or spending it on the toilet. That time is going to be gone no matter what. You might as well do something that you really enjoy. And if that happens to be playing a game or reading a book or uh, watching a really crappy reality TV show, nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and on that note, um, yeah, I kind of don't want to keep you on more than you have to because it's like, yeah, listening to you talk about how busy you are, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to keep this man on longer than I should. So um, before we wrap this up, uh, can you give us an update on what you're currently working on and where can people find you online? I'm currently directing a, a kids television series, um, and uh, which I can't say anything about, but I can say that it's a lot of fun and it's kick-ass. Um, I've recently recorded a bunch of voices for an unknown, very popular uh, online game. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just kind of jumping in from what I'm doing little voiceover bits here and there. I, again, for things I can't really talk about, unfortunately, but it's, uh, it's nice that I'm being kept busy. Um, I can be found on Instagram and on Twitter, even though I'm not very active on those platforms at the moment because time and busyness. Um, but yeah, if you just type in my name, that's B-O-R-I-S-H-I-E-S-T-A-N-D, Boris Heestand, um, then you can find me on those uh, and maybe some other social media platforms as well. Um, that's it, man. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time up to do this. And if you ever want to come back, you know, you know, you know where to find me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and uh, good luck and all the best. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.